Good morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing? All right. Give yourselves a hand for being at church on Time Change Sunday. This is like a, like a really big deal for you to make it to church. Uh, I saw several uh, people put up things uh, on Facebook yesterday, mainly pastors saying, come on people, it's one hour, you can do it, uh, and you guys did, and so uh, we are so thankful that you're here. Uh, we're going to be starting uh, Unfiltered Jesus here in a second. We've got a couple more messages in this series, and then in a couple weeks we're going to start a series uh, about family and home and, and a lot of different things like that. So we'll tell you more about that next week. But one thing we wanted to put on your radar, uh, you, you know that uh, here in a few weeks, actually I think six weeks from today, if I am doing my math right, we have Easter Sunday. And uh, here at City Walk on Easter Sunday, just like every church, Easter is a really big deal, and Easter is a really good opportunity to invite your neighbors that go to church two times a year to come with you. Uh, and, and then you can invite them again around Christmas time. But, but this is a great opportunity for you to invite people uh, to come be a part of what God's doing here at City Walk. And so on that Sunday, we're actually going to do things differently and we'll have a lot more information uh, going forward. We're going to actually have two services that morning. Uh, one will be at 9 o'clock and one will be at 1045. And so we'll tell you a lot more about that going forward. Uh, but Easter is coming and we wanted to kind of put that on your radar uh, as, as we move towards that. Uh, as we kind of continue now into this Unfiltered Jesus series, uh, you guys know, uh, some of you have met and some of you we just met uh, via me talking up here and you getting to know a little bit more about our family uh, through embarrassing illustrations I tell about my kids and stuff like that. But uh, we, have, we have three children. Uh, we have Kate, who's five. We have uh, uh, Austin, who's 17, and then Julia, who's 14. And one of the things you see, even in, if you're a grandparent, you understand this. If you're a parent, you understand this. If you're an aunt or an uncle, you, you're with children on any level. You know that early on in a children's, in a child's life, selfishness is not something you have to teach them. Uh, you do not have to teach them to want to be at the front of the line. When you're in kindergarten, like if somebody could offer you to be president of the United States or to be the first person in line, and you would choose first person in line because when you're in kindergarten, that's how teachers kind of manipulate you to obey us. You're going to get to be the first one in line. I mean, that is a really big deal, and nobody has to teach children to make that a big deal. It's just in them. There's something in them from an early age that wants to be first, that wants to be on top, that wants to, to have the best of something. That's just natural. But then you, you kind of get, get moving and you're, you're into elementary and middle school and then you go out to the PE field. And it's time to pick teams. And that same little selfishness, wanting to be first, it begins to rise. And, and there's something inside of you that desperately wants to be the first person pick for the team. And, and you want to be first, maybe second, I mean third at the worst. But the absolute worst, most humiliating thing for you as a middle school student is to be the last person pick for the team. And you, if you've experienced that, you remember what that felt like. But you don't have to, at any age, you don't have to teach people or, or kind of motivate them to want to be first. It's natural. 
And, and then we get older and more mature and really godly, but yet we still want to be at the top of the org chart. We'd still, we might not say it, but we'd love to have the parking spot. The corner office really does look good, and we think that, hey, if anybody deserves that corner office, it's probably me. And, and we, if we're honest, we all want to be that person, even if we don't want to admit it. There's something inside of us that wants to be on top. There's something inside of us that desperately wants to be known as great. We want to be someone that people talk about for what they do. We're drawn to historic figures that were great. Those are the people we read about. Those are the people we encourage our kids to be like because there's something inside of us that wants to not be average. We want to be great. And, and really, how you define the word greatness determines if you're the crazy, wacko dad at the Little League game that's about to crawl over the fence at the umpire. And you're like, yeah, that's me. Well, we know how you define greatness then. I mean, you've seen that guy that obviously for him, greatness is, man, his kid being the best on the team, and he goes nuts. I mean, you see him on church on Sunday, and he's a normal dude, but put him on a little league field with his kid playing, he goes crazy. You, you've seen that. Maybe you've been that person. We, we, we see things like this happen, and, and in the church world, greatness is kind of determined by kind of how big's the building, What's the trend line for attendance? How much offering came in? And, and so any area of life, there's a definition that, that, that kind of the world has of greatness and something inside of us that wants to be what the world says is great. But Jesus, and this is what we're going to look at today, he says that's not what it looks like. The, this definition of greatness, of being the, the person on the top, of having the, the parking spot, of, of all this, this is not how I determine greatness. And one thing that, that, that Jesus says is, hey, being great isn't bad. In fact, you have it in you to be great, and you should want to be great, but it's how you define and leverage greatness that really determines if you're in agreement with Jesus. And in, in this whole idea, and maybe you've, you've seen this even in the church, this whole idea of greatness, this whole idea of celebrity might be why you walked away from the church. And Jesus says there's, there's something different. There's a different way. And if the church and, and, and the followers of Jesus could recapture what greatness really is, there wouldn't be a civil rights movement. There, there wouldn't have been uh, all the things in the past, these religious wars. It, it wouldn't have happened if, if Jesus' followers really lived and followed the example of Jesus in this area of greatness. One day, Jesus was taking a walk with some of his guys, his disciples. And in Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles or you, you can go to the app, Mark chapter 10 is what we'll, we'll read. But he was taking a walk with some of his, his followers. And, and two of his guys kind of pulled Jesus off to the side. James and John. And they, they kind of pulled Jesus off to the side. And they, they gave him one of these questions. Hey, I'm about to ask you a question. But before I tell you what the question is, I just want you to agree to it. 
It's that, it's that question you get that makes you really nervous and the question, hey, what are you doing on Saturday? You're like, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing on Saturday. I want to know what you mean, what you're about to ask me to do. Well, this is what these guys were doing. They were saying, hey, Jesus, we've got a question for you. And we want you to go ahead and just sign off and tell us that yeah, you're going to give us the answer before we give you the question. And he's like, guys. And so they ask him this question. They say, hey, Jesus. So when we get to the kingdom and we do this whole heaven thing that you've, we've heard you talking about. You, I mean, we all know that like we're your boys. Like we're, you, you, get, you love all 12 of these guys. But, but I think we all know that we're the ones you love the most. And so Jesus, you know, you've got a right hand, you've got a left hand, and, and you're going to have seats in that kingdom next to you. And I mean, who better to be in those seats than James and John? And, and so they kind of come to Jesus and, and ask him, hey, would you go ahead and just put our names on those seats? You know, I mean, we'll, we'll do, we'll, we won't disrespect you. I think we deserve it. And, and, and Jesus, he, he, he plays along a little bit and he listens to him. And, and the other 12, they get mad. They get indignant. And, and they're not mad because, man, you guys shouldn't ask that question. They're mad because we didn't get to Jesus first with that question. And, and Jesus, he, he begins to talk to them. And, I mean, in his mind, Jesus is saying, man, you guys, you don't get it. What, what you think is great and, and being on my right hand and my left, you don't even know what that all entails. And this idea of greatness that you have is having these best places and positions and special seats. This is, this is way off what I came here to do. And so Jesus, in, in the scriptures, we, we, we feel like he, he probably literally like pulled his guys aside. It wasn't one of these, like, as we walk, we're going to talk through this. He actually took this opportunity to pull his guys kind of pull him in and say, hey, guys, sit down. I want to tell you something. And he says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And the, they're probably nodding like, yeah, that's, exact, that's exactly what we want. We, that's, what, that's the power we want. You're speaking our language, Jesus. And then he says this, but it shall not be so among you. Not, not my followers. We're, we're doing something different in this movement. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be, and this was so offensive to them, slave of all. That word slave literally means one who forfeits his or her own rights in order to serve any and all. And Jesus, as these guys have approached him and said, Hey, Jesus, can, can we be great? Can we have the, the right hand and the left hand? Can we have the positions of power and influence? Will you go ahead and give those to us because we feel like we're important? And Jesus pulls the guys aside and says, No! The way you think of greatness, what you see in this world, this is not what I say about greatness. In fact, if you want to be great, that's great, be great, but being great means you serve and you're a slave to others. And what's interesting is Jesus said this in a culture, in a Greco-Roman world where greatness was determined by status. Everything reinforced greatness. If it reinforced greatness, it reinforced how your status was better than other people. John Ortberg, in his book, Who is This Man?, he, he made a few comments about this, and this, 
this will make some of your blood boil. The, the way that, that they determined status and how they treated people back in this day, which is so important to understand because then you understand how what Jesus said was so anti the way their world was. Back in this day and age, seating at public events was not according to the ticket cost, but it was according to the status. So you could have paid the most for your ticket, you could have bought your ticket first, you could have paid tons of money, but if somebody showed up that had a higher status than you, you were moved to the back row and they were moved to the front row, even if they didn't pay what you paid for that ticket. I mean, it'd be like you waiting all night on, on Black Friday. You're one of those crazy people that waits in line with your sleeping bag to get the TV for $3.99. And the store's about to open. You've been there for 24 hours. Two minutes before the store opens, a limo pulls up. Five people get out, and they get to go ahead of you, and they get the TV, and you don't. That's basically what, what has happened. This is the culture that, that, that Jesus was speaking into. At private parties, guests were seated according to their social status. And this, is, this will make your blood boil. Hosts would sometimes invite guests of inferior rank just to highlight how high their status was. So they would invite people that were different in, the, in rank and status and seat them way far away just so they looked more important. Low-status people were not allowed to interrupt people of higher status, but the opposite wasn't true. Even how they gave gifts reinforced status. A, a, a wealthy, kind of high-status person, and this, this is awful, would, would give a gift to someone, and when you gave a gift back in this time, it was never a free and clear gift. There was always something expected. And so they would give a gift to someone and they expected a gift back of the same or better value. And so what high status people would sometimes do is they would give a really nice gift to someone they knew could never pay them back. And the person would go into financial ruin trying to pay back the gift. It's crazy. There were certain laws for high status people, like they had a set of laws, but if you weren't high status, you had another set of laws. There was a certain way that you were allowed to die if you were a high status person, and then there were other ways that people that had lower status were, were killed. It was crazy. And in the midst of this, this status-driven world, Jesus speaks these ridiculous words to his disciples. In, 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 a, in a society where power and influence were leveraged to make you feel better and to show your greatness, Jesus said, not anymore. Not in my kingdom. If you find yourself with position or influence, you've been given it to serve others. Not yourself. Not your own agenda. Not to put you more on a pedestal. And see... As Jesus, I mean, these guys, this, to us, we've been hearing about this for, if, you know, whether you grew up in church or not, you've probably heard some of this. It's kind of in our society, even in the secular world. But these guys were hearing this stuff for the first time in a society where this might, have, might as well have been a different language. Like, this is crazy. But then just a few days later, and we touched on this this past week, Jesus gathered these same men in an upper room to celebrate Passover with them. 
So with this conversation in view, and, and Jesus has just had this conversation with these guys, you can't overstate the emotion of this, this time with these guys in this upper room. There was tension that nobody understood but Jesus because Jesus was about to give his life and be the ultimate example of server, serving and greatness. And as he's gathered these guys in this upper room, after having this conversation with him, when, when, when he could have done anything with his time with these guys, he does something that we touched on last week that just stamps what he said to them a few days earlier. In the final moments of his life, in the final moments with his guys gathered as they were sitting at the table to have dinner, Jesus gets up from his place at the table and begins to redefine greatness by modeling it in a way they'd never forget. And it's in that way we begin to see the world change. Even secular historians point back to this moment as a way to redefine what was great. You have people that were great leaders in history that point back to this moment as something that impacted them. John 13, as Jesus is gathered with these guys, and we looked at this briefly last week. Verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he, he knew what was about to happen. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, which was a sign of his rabbinical authority. He took that off. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. See, Jesus was doing exactly what a slave would do, where just a few days earlier he said, if you want to be great, don't, don't go after the way that the world defines greatness, but you be the servant, you be the slave to all. And then a few days later, Jesus is on his hands and knees with, with a towel wrapped around his waist, and he's washing the dirty feet of his disciples. Nobody did this. No leader in Greek and Roman culture would ever do this. Nobody great would even think about doing this. And in verse 8, as, as Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter's always, man, he's going to tell it like it is. Peter said to him as Jesus is ready to wash his feet, he says, You shall never wash my feet. No way am I letting you do this, Jesus. There is no way. I've watched you raise the dead. I've watched you heal the sick. I've watched thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people follow you. I've watched what greatness looks like. And I don't want this to be a picture of greatness. You're, you're too good for this. And Jesus tells Peter, hey buddy, if I don't wash your feet, this thing is over between me and you, basically. See, he, Jesus, as he's doing this, in his mind, he knows that tonight, this very night, just a few hours after I get up off my knees from washing your feet, Peter, greatness will be redefined in all of history. 
the, the things that you think are great and of the kings and the emperors of this world will be totally redefined by what happens tonight, Peter. And while all this is happening, Peter, you will duck out, you will run, you will be afraid, but I will still go through with what I'm called to do, Peter. Let me wash your feet. It says in verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? Like, guys, are you starting to like put two and two together? Are you starting to catch what I'm, what I'm trying to explain to you? Do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. I have a title. I'm important. But let me tell you what you're supposed to do with that title. What, let me explain to you what you're supposed to do with your importance. He says this, if I then, your Lord and teacher, the guy with the title, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. See, people are humbled by circumstances, but they don't choose to be humbled by circumstances. Jesus chose to put himself in circumstances that were humbling. No one chooses that. But Jesus did as he was giving an example to follow. And right after this, literally, just a few days after he, was, he, was, he died and was put into a grave and rose from the grave, the, the church, this movement that he had been talking about, it, it was birthed. And literally 300 years from the time this is taking place, the, this, the followers of Jesus that had taken his example and followed his example had, at this point, 300 years later, had taken the message of Jesus and it had literally touched the entire world. So much so that the, that the Roman Empire made it the official religion of Rome. Just 300 years later, after Jesus was on his knees washing his disciples' feet, telling them, guys, if you want to be great, if you want to make an impact, follow my lead. And, and we know from, from history and from scriptures that these men did the same thing. They, they didn't do it perfectly, but these men, they, they followed the lead of their Savior, the example of what greatness really was. And because of that, just 300 years later, the message had touched the entire world. How did this happen? Mark 10, 45 says this, as Jesus is speaking, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus, his, his word to his guys is, hey, this is, I, I came not to be served, but to serve, to give my life for many. I came to, the, all, the only reason I came was to give, to serve. Here's the baton. You go do it. Follow my lead. Follow my example. See, Jesus' kingdom, and, and sometimes filter that we see Jesus through is not an accurate filter. See, Jesus did not come here to 
be at the top of the org chart. He didn't come here to to get the parking place. He didn't come here to use his influence to push other people down. He came here to give his life, to serve. And he tells his guys, he tells them, hey, if you want to change the world, if you want to be great, and I want you to be great, follow my example. Follow my lead. See, as we, we try to think of, okay, okay, 2,000 years later, what, is, what does that look like for us? What, what does it look like to follow the example of Jesus now 2,000 years after he washed the disciples' feet and encouraged and exhorted them to follow his lead? One thing is simply this. Man, he wants us to go and be great. Go and be great. Sometimes in the church world, you hear things like, oh, you're not supposed to be great. You're not supposed to want to, to wanna go after things. And he said, no, 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 no. I want you to go. I want you to be great. I want you to be great, though, as how I've defined greatness, not how you've defined greatness. See, I like how Bob Goff said it. Bob Goff, if, if you've never read anything of Bob, he's an interesting guy. And he says this. He says, be secretly great. Be great, but man, be secretly great. You don't have to Instagram every moment of greatness. Be secretly great. Following Jesus' example into true greatness means a few things. It means One thing it means is this. We must leverage leadership for the sake of the people being led. See, our goal is not power. Our goal is not to build a kingdom. Our goal is not, should not be to get our name on the wall. Our goal should be to change people because we serve them, because we use the influence that we've been given not to prop ourselves up or to point fingers at ourselves, but we use it to serve and change people, not because we're better, but because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, in my kingdom, power and authority are no match for humility, See, sometimes we think that, that Jesus wanted us, he kind of gave us two ways to rule. Kind of, here's the good way to rule and here's the bad way to rule. That's not what Jesus was doing here. Basically, what Jesus was saying is he wasn't saying, hey, here's two options of how to rule. He was saying, no, 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 it's not a good way and a bad way to rule. It is serve or rule. Those are your options. Not a good or a bad way to rule. Sometimes we think that, oh, I still get to be the, but the main guy. I still get to have everybody looking at me, but I'll just do it Jesus' way. And, and Jesus' way is, is not to, to rule, but to serve. It's to, to be someone who is at the bottom and who pushes other people up. See, sometimes we're afraid to be at the bottom, and Jesus says, you know what? Don't be afraid to be at the bottom. That's where I actually do stuff. That's where I actually use people. I use people from the bottom up. I don't use people from the top down. That's the way the world does it. I use people from the bottom up, and that's the way we do things in my kingdom. And so if we're going to be somebody that, that leverages greatness the way Jesus does, we have to leverage our leadership for the sake of those being led. It makes me so sick to my stomach when I see even in the church this almost like celebrity Christian people. It's disgusting. It, 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 and there's nothing wrong with influence. There's nothing wrong with, with having a following that, that Jesus gives you. But when we use it to build a brand, to build ourselves up instead of using it to wash more feet, 
When, 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 when a celebrity Christian walks on the stage, the Holy Spirit walks off the stage. And, and no matter what position you're in, no matter where in leadership you serve, in any capacity in a church, we are not to be celebrity Christians. We are to be really good feet washers. And that's what Jesus did. That's how he leveraged, that's how he leveraged greatness. This is for every leader at every level that we serve from the bottom up. That's what Jesus did. And whether our influence is in the boardroom, whether it's in a classroom, whether it's in a political arena, whether it's on a playing field, when we are given influence, we are given it to leverage, to wash more people's feet. That's what it's about. And so following Jesus into true greatness means we must leverage leadership for the sake of people being led. But secondly, we must prioritize the marginalized and discounted. This, this can't be part of what we do. This has to be who we are and what we do. It can't be like the token thing we do around Christmas time. Like, oh, let's go let's feed some people that need some food. Or, you know, oh, let's check that off our holiday list. No, 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 no. This is something that, that a church that's following after Jesus, this isn't something that they, they do sometime and that it's kind of part. This is just who they are. Because Jesus came and he used his greatness to serve those that were marginalized and discounted, that nobody else wanted to be around, that if he was around, it was probably going to ruin his reputation. And, and, and he didn't care about that. He prioritized those people. See, our desire for power and dominance must not focus on, on ourselves because when we focus on ourselves, we kill love. And that is so anti what Jesus did. See, our, our vision here at City Walk has been to be an alternative to church as usual. It's, it's to be a, a place that never becomes a middle-class country club in our city, but something, a place that, is, that leverages whatever influence it's given for the good of those who don't have Jesus. That's what we want to do. Let me, let me tell you how, how we do that. How, how, are, what, how do we stay that way? How do we stay a place that always focuses on serving from the bottom up and never making this thing about us? Here's how we do it. We always ask those who are in to give and sacrifice more than those who are on the outside. So what does that look like? That looks like someday when, when we have a second service, it might look like, you know what? I'm going to come to the service that I don't necessarily like the time because I want to open up more seats for the people that are coming to the other service because that's more of a prioritized time. And so I'm going to go to a service that I don't really want to go to or a time that doesn't fit me best because I want to serve other people that the other time works best for them. It might look like in May, we're going to take Memorial Day weekend, and instead of having church, we're going to meet here at church, and we're going to meet in our work clothes, not in our Sunday clothes, and we're going to go throughout our city, and we're going to serve our city with, on different projects in our city. We're not going to have church. You're not going to hear a sermon that day. We're going to serve our city and help make our city better on that Sunday. It might, be, it might look like just getting involved in that. 
Uh, it might look like, you know what, one day when God opens a door that maybe we can plant another church or another campus that you be a part of a, a team of 20 or 30 people that says, you know what, I'll drive 20 minutes to another campus because I want to help start something for a group of people that need it. And yeah, it's, it's a sacrifice for me. Yeah, it's, it's going to cost me more. It's going to be a bigger sacrifice. I'm going to have to get up earlier, but that's okay because we always serve from the bottom up and anybody that's on the inside sacrifices and gives way more than somebody on the outside because that's what Jesus did. Jesus expected the, his followers to serve the way he did because he came on a rescue mission to seek and to save those who are lost. It means that we never make this thing about our preferences. Sometimes people ask me, hey, so what did you think of this? Or what did you think of that? And I, I've said this to people. You know what? If I was building a church for a 42-year-old guy that has been a follower of Jesus since he was a little kid, it probably wouldn't look like this. They're like, what? You're the pastor of this church. Yeah, if I was building a church just for me and what I needed and what I wanted, it probably wouldn't look like this. Because we didn't build this thing for us, we built this thing for those that aren't here yet. Because we really believe there's an eternity, we really believe there's a heaven and there's a hell, we really believe that Jesus came and gave us such a great example of loving and serving, and he's asked us to follow his example, and so all we can do are reasonable service to him after all he's done for us is to say, Jesus, how did you want to use me, and I don't need my name in lights, I'll serve from the bottom up, I want to follow your example. I want to prioritize who you prioritized. I want to, who, 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 what broke your heart to break my heart, Jesus. See, that's what serving the way Jesus served looks like. Last thing, as we think about how we follow Jesus into true greatness and what that really looks like, it, it looks like this, and we know this, we will only find our best life when we give away our life. I mean, does anybody in here really think that getting a new car is going to change the game for you? Like, your life's going to be perfect from now on if you have a new car. I mean, is, is the, the, you know, that fourth bedroom really going to change eternity for you? Uh, maybe the jacuzzi, not, and again, nothing wrong with this. If you have all this, invite me over and I'll sit in your jacuzzi. That's all good. But, but that, no one here really thinks that, that by getting all that, it's going to really make our life worth, worth living. Do we? I, I think we all know we've all stood by enough uh, deathbeds of people that were, that were leaving this earth. We all understand that, man, this whole thing is not about what I get, but it's about what I give away. We've never heard somebody on their deathbed say, dang it, I wish I would have had more. They, they never say that because that's not what it's about. It's about giving our life away. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I like how Paul said this. He says, now you, collectively, you, you're the body of Christ. You're the physical representation of Jesus Christ. And individually, you're members of it. Like you, can, I mean, think about that. 
Like Jesus is like, I'm, I'm off, I'm, I'm, I'm away now, I, I left the Holy Spirit, and now you are skin, you are, you are my representation to this world, you are Jesus to this world. How powerful is that when we really grasp that? And that should change the game for us, how we define greatness and what we do with it. You say, Chris, like, what, what, what do I do, like, what if... I'm not sure, how to, what does this look like for me? Well, let me ask you a question. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? What aren't you okay with in our society? What bothers you? See, every single one of us has something inside of us that honestly, our heart breaks. And for you, it might be Kids in foster care. For you, it might be, I mean, you fill in the blank. And Jesus is saying, hey, give your life away. Don't make it about you. I put that angst in your heart. Take that angst and and give your life away. And, And if you, in your mind, you don't have an answer to that question, that's a big question to think about. If you're unsure, then just find some more feet to wash. Like, I, I don't know what breaks my heart yet. I, I have a lot of things, so what do I do? I, 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 what do I do with all this? Well, just find some feet to wash. Find some people to serve. And let Jesus do something with it. See, imagine the difference if you as an individual and we as a church took the posture of a servant the way Jesus did. Think, think about how this would affect your marriage. If it wasn't about you always being right, even if you are right, what if it was about, you know what, I don't have to be right, let me serve you. See, serving other people in that way, it, the, the ice in your relationship, it, it seems to melt away when somebody serves that way. Like, are you, I know I did you wrong, but you, you're still trying to wash my feet? Like, it changes the game. What, what about that relationship that's been severed? That, that nobody's willing to take a step towards the other person. And yeah, you were wrong deeply. You were wrong. They did you wrong. There's no, no argument about that. But, but what would this look like if you took the posture of a servant and said, you know what, I have been wronged. And, and you haven't apologized. And yeah, you, you were 90% of this deal and I was 10% of it. But you know what, I'm done trying to be right. I just want to wash your feet. I want to serve you. See, the, the, what, one interesting thing is, you know that night when Jesus was down on his knees washing feet, he came to a disciple by the name of Judas, who literally, while he was washing feet of Judas, had organized a group of men to come and kill Jesus. And Jesus washed Judas's feet that night. That's amazing that he would wash the feet of the man who would hours later kiss him on the cheek and betray him and hand him over to be killed. What would this look like in your business if if you took your influence and used it to serve others and, and leveraged your authority to build each other, build other people up. You know what? You'd have some people that want to come work at your place. 
You'd have some people, if you did this in your marriage, you'd have some people coming up to you saying, can you give us some marriage advice? If you, you did this in, in, in your church, in your workplace, in your marriage, it would change the game. And so Jesus, as he begins to kind of close out his ministry on earth, he sits down with his guys and says, don't do it the way everybody else does it. See, the way we do it in my kingdom is we do it from the bottom up, not from the top down. So the, the question that I want, I want to give you a couple questions to end with. The first question is simply this. Are you a person of greatness? Are you a person of greatness? Not, not are you the top guy or gal on the org chart. Not am I going to find a parking place with your name on it if I go to your workplace. Not do you make the most money in the room. No, are you a person of greatness the way Jesus defined it? Will you be remembered for being the, the most powerful person or will you be remembered for the person who used their influence to lift people up and prioritize those that were marginalized, prioritize those that nobody else would prioritize? Are you a person of greatness? Second question, who benefits from your life? Think about it. Who benefits most from your life? Who benefits most from my life? Is the person that benefits most from Chris Fincham's life Chris Fincham? If so, I'm not a great man. And there's a lot of days that the person that makes the most out of Chris Fincham's life is Chris Fincham. Because at times I'm very selfish. And I would guess you would maybe say the same thing about yourself. But Jesus, what, what's so good about Jesus is Jesus, not only does he say, hey, here's the definition of greatness, but he says this, you can't reach that on your own. You can't even do this. Like you can try to do this, but you're going to fail because you're selfish. That's why I came. I came not just to die for you and give you a home in eternity, but I came to empower you to obey me in this life. I came to empower you to have a life that is transformative, to have a life that is abundant. I came because you couldn't do that on your own. I came to give you grace to do even what I've asked you to do. And so as we close... Maybe the, the best way for you to make application of this is just to pray. And, and there's a prayer that we're going to put up on the screen, and, and maybe this would be a great prayer for you to pray. Jesus, thank you for your example. Forgive me for using the influence you gave me for my benefit. Give me the grace to use any influence you give me for the benefit of others and the furtherance of your kingdom. Let, let me read that again. And just in the quietness of your heart, maybe for you it's just agreeing with this in your heart before God. Jesus, thank you for your example. Forgive me for using the influence you gave me for my benefit. 
Give me the grace to use any influence you give me for the benefit of others and the furtherance of your kingdom. Would you make that your prayer this morning? Would you ask throughout this week, would you ask the Lord to give you eyes to see what He sees and to give you a desire to serve the way He served? And may we never become a gathering of people that make this all about us. May we always make it about the people that Jesus came to rescue. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you gave us such an example. Lord, on the night that you were literally going to be arrested, you were going to be beaten, you were going to be betrayed by someone that you thought was a friend. You were going to have many of your closest followers turn and run when you were in need of them most. And Lord, even in the midst of all that you went through, Lord, you chose to do that. You chose to go to the cross for us. Lord, I thank you for your work on the cross has now provided us an opportunity to have a relationship with you. But Lord, I also thank you for the tremendous example that you have been for us, Lord. And I pray as we, we fail so much at this, I know I do. Lord, I, I, I want to make things about me. I want people to think I'm important. And Lord, I know that that is not of you. And Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here this morning, Lord, that we would be a gathering of people that lead from the bottom up, that lead with a servant's towel and a servant's bowl. Lord, that make it about washing the feet of other people, not about ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would use this spirit to, to serve and to give to in our city to bring many people to yourself and Lord I pray even in our children's lives as we seek to set an example of this Lord that you would impart on their life at an early age this idea of serving and giving for the benefit of others in Jesus name amen